Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The Business Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful and, yes, some not-so-successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit. Welcome to part two of the Linda Broom interview on the Business Exit Stories podcast. Today, Linda, who is a business broker in Texas, shares two additional transactional stories with us. The first story is about a business that was given birth because the breadwinner in the family was laid off from his job. To make ends meet, the breadwinner's wife started to clean houses. Because she was allergic to many of the chemicals that are commonly used in household cleaning supplies, she began to use organic cleaning supplies and then promoted this fact on social media. I would like to have you pay particular attention in this episode how her business exploded. And after building a highly successful business, they decided to sell. To their surprise, they thought they were going to be able to get a loan without any problems. This didn't happen. Even though they had a highly profitable business, they couldn't get their SBA loan approved. This story is a cautionary tale that every entrepreneur needs to understand. Next, Linda shares a story of how entrepreneurs need to file their income tax returns in the right way. Because if you file your business tax returns in the wrong way, like this entrepreneur did, it'll guarantee you that you will not be able to get your sale financed. You're going to have to listen to this episode to find out why. This is Marvin L. Storm with the Business Exit Stories podcast. Today, we're here with Linda Bloom. Linda, it's great to have you here on our podcast today because we're excited to share some of your stories that you've been involved in in the different transactions over the years. Uh, would you just tell uh, the audience and share with them a little bit about uh, who you are and where you're located? Absolutely. My name is Linda Broom, and I am with Transworld Business Advisors, and we are located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We service pretty much North Texas. Uh, people call it the Metroplex. And um, I've done transa- various transactions, uh, dozens of them running from main what we call Main Street businesses, anything you might see on uh, retail boutiques, uh, dry cleaners, um, uh, medical offices, all the way to about $10 million. So cosmetic distribution, manufacturing, things like that. So kind of the gambit of that under $10 million. Sounds like you have a pretty wide range of businesses you get involved in. And we're going to chat about uh, some of those here today. So why don't we kind of jump in and chat about some of the transactions that you've had over the years. Why don't we start out with uh, a specific transaction that you feel our audience might learn from that didn't go kind of as planned and had its challenges and and walk us through who the entrepreneurs were, how they grew their business, and uh, then we'll at the end we'll chat a little bit about uh, one or two key takeaways. Awesome. So this is a, a husband and wife, and back in 2015, uh, early 16, the husband lost his job, and so the wife. In order to put food on the table, decided she'd start cleaning homes. So she started cleaning homes, but she was getting very sick and getting headaches. Well, was the reason she was getting sick was... Cleaning. 
it was the cleaning, kind of the chemicals and stuff. Yeah, she was cleaning the houses and she was realizing it was really it was really bothering her. And so she had had some experience in organic and herbs and and uh, mineral uh, oils and things. So she uh, was able to, uh, with the help of her mom, who had some experience in that, actually develop some organic cleaning products that were all natural. And so she began cleaning with those. And when she started promoting that on social media and uh, digital marketing that she was doing organic cleaning, it just boomed and it exploded. She had year over year uh, double growth uh, over the first four years. So let, let me just uh, rewind here a minute. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, we've had, you know, cleaning services from time to time, you know, come into our home. And I I don't think I've ever heard or was aware that there were companies out there that offered organic cleaning, which is kind of a novel, a novel positioning in, in that industry. And obviously it was working for her. It was, it's definitely a niche. And I think that, um, uh, of course, as she went through COVID, it certainly made a big impact on people, but um, I find that a lot. And actually I changed my, I have really bad allergies and I changed my uh, products about, Eight years ago, I went all um, organic or natural, and my allergies disappeared in my home. Not so much outside my home, but inside my home. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, that's a good note for our audience here. Uh, you know, if you have allergies, you might want to give this some thought, huh? Or even migraines. That's the other thing. It was giving her headaches. So, yeah, keep that in mind. But this organic cleaning business just really blossomed and it was a great way that she scaled it. And she's literally after two years, she wasn't even in a home cleaning anymore. She was teaching and training others how to go in and do that. And in the meantime, she hired a uh, constant recruiter, a, a recruiter. So th this recruiter did what? They recruited customers or recruited staff? So they recruited staff. So if you think about this industry, lots of turnover. So... She actually has had quite a few stay with her, and she thinks part of it is due to the organic chemicals that it's not harsh. She even has some that have been can continue to clean during pregnancy because they're 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 organic and natural. So she's got had a recruiter that was recruiting uh, the maids. She had a trainer that was training them once they were in, and then she had an operations manager and a scheduler. So she had four employees working for her and she was just overseeing it. Now, how long did it take her from the time she started her business to kind of get to having these four key uh, operational and marketing people on board? Would that happen in the first year, second year? How, how, to give us an idea of how long it took to evolve that. So she cleaned houses the first two years on her own. And then as she grew and hired more maids, the third year is when she started bringing in um, a recruiter and a scheduler. And then the fourth, uh, uh, and then in that kind of towards the end of the third year, she brought in the trainer and the um, uh, kind of operations person. So by her fourth year, she was pretty much a semi, what I would call a semi absentee owner. She was just overseeing it. Now, during this time, you indicated that sales continued to double almost every year, year over year. Yes. So that required more maids which required more operations. And, and so she uh, just continued to look over it. She did, uh, her and her husband actually both did kind of things like the background checks on all the girls, made sure that everything was in place and that um, when they would come to the warehouse, that there was, everything was ready for them to uh, pick up. 
But what was beautiful was that she scaled it to a point where she realized she really couldn't take it any further. And she had kind of done her thing. And now her husband wanted to do a venture on his own. He had something in mind that he wanted to do. And he had a, an amount of what he was going to need to get that business started. So they decided to put this business on the market. So the real driver here wasn't really retirement or anything like that. They just got to a point where she had worked hard, it sounds like. And I assume they had a family. Uh, my guess is, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but she probably kind of wanted to stay home for a while, be with the kids. Uh, and her husband wanted to do his thing now. And uh, so this sounds kind of like a fairy tale story here. And yet we're talking about a transaction here that had its challenges. Where, where, where did the complexion of this transaction change all of a sudden? Um, it came in the it, somewhat in the valuation of the business. Everyone thinks their business is often worth more than it actually is. Really? I didn't, I did, I've never heard that before, you know? Isn't my house worth a million dollars? Isn't my business worth a million dollars? Yeah, it's a common no, honey, theme here no. on the podcast, uh, you know, and it's this whole issue of, you know, I use the word decoupling often where you have to separate, you know, reality from what the market is really telling you. And it sounds like that may have been a challenge here. It was. Um, and, 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 and that was okay, uh, for a while, uh, to let them see that that wasn't what the market was, was coming in. And so the, the buyers that I brought them, uh, we're not understanding the valuation. They really like the business. I, I, I want to go back to this because I think it's important for our audience to really grasp this because if you're a, an entrepreneur, founder, a business owner out there that's thinking about positioning their business for sale, you know, you're going to come across this. What is my business actually worth? And of course, when you put in all those blood, sweat, tears, hours and years into your business, you want to get a, a good return on that. And sometimes what you think in your mind is different than what the business is actually worth by the numbers and what the market is going to accept as a valuation. So in this particular case, it sounds like they were getting into another venture, or the husband was. Uh, did that have anything to do with how they valued their existing business? I believe so. Not that they would share that with me, but what they said was, you know, we have a certain number in mind, Linda, that we want. And so we don't really want to go below that. So I said, well, let's see what happens. Okay, so that that's a typical conversation. They have a certain number in mind, regardless of where that number came from. It's either based on their history of how hard they've worked or maybe what they want to do with the money, or in this case, maybe the new venture or whatever the situation is. They have a number in mind. In your opinion at that time, was the number that they had in mind really what the market would validate and accept? No. No. But you said, okay, you know, you want to go down this path, we'll go down this path. Correct. And so tell us about how the story kind of unfolds. So I went ahead and listed it where they wanted it. And as I brought buyers and they would say it's listed too high, they got a couple offers that were low, what what they would consider low balls and what I would consider probably the proper valuation, but they weren't willing to accept it. So I actually suggested that we, well, let me go back. So as COVID hit, they actually had only a couple months off and the business then grew during COVID because people were wanting them to come in and clean. And they even started a fogging side of it. Fogging for COVID. Fog it. Fog, fog your home that would get rid of the COVID 
viruses. Bacteria, bacteria. yes. Well, this is, so, that's cool. That That's very creative and innovative, actually. It is, except that what's the longevity on that? We didn't know at that point how long COVID was going to last. And I said, you know, that extra revenue they were bringing in, was that longevity going to be there in two or three years? And was that going to be able to continue? I don't know. Maybe it would. But I was hesitant to want to add value to the, to the business with just that additional. <clears throat> so we actually wound up taking it off the market for four months because they really felt it was worth more. And it was wasting their time, my time, and the buyer's time who were coming in and giving these adequate valuations to it and them not accepting it. So we pulled it off. And after the first quarter, we decided to take a look at We looked at it again and they'd done a little bit better. So we listed it about where it was before, a little lower. They actually realized they really wanted to get it sold and move on to this other venture. So now the dynamics are changing. There's a time issue driving the decision now that, you know, now timing is more important than price, actually. Yes, I believe that was it again. They didn't share that with me always. I try to get that from my people. But, you know, some people want to, are very uh, upfront with you and let you know and Others, not so much, but great couple, really loved them. And this was a beautiful business that I knew if I found the right buyer, they would they would really um, be happy. Again, they had a legacy going here, and that was important to them also. So I did find um, a teacher who was looking to get out of teaching, and she wanted to, she wanted this business. And, and when they met, it was a beautiful thing, and I could tell how much they enjoyed each other. They were, they they just got along really, really well. So I knew that this was going to happen, but it was not SBA qualified. I could not get it lender qualified for numerous reasons. Okay. So now that's a key element of this story here is that if you can't get a, a type of business like this SBA qualified, you really have an issue because that is how a lot of businesses in the category that you're talking about here you know, and the volume that you're talking about, uh, the valuation of the business, SBA becomes a critical component. And usually it would. I did have a, a conversation with them. Why, why did they qualify for SBA? Their, 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 their finances were a mess. It took me four months just to get the finances where I could even get it listed. And I had a conversation right off the bat, which I have with all my sellers about seller financing. And they were very much against it in the beginning. So I just let it kind of let it play out. And as I brought this woman, I explained to them for numerous reasons, tax reasons um, uh, for them. And then just since it wouldn't get bank qualified to get the best price for them, it would be best if they seller financed it. And so what we wound up working out was this lady actually put 80% down on the business and did 20% of it worked in earnout. So did she have all that money in the bank? So good question. So since I couldn't get it SBA and I told her that from the beginning, she actually had many rental home rental, single family rental properties. And she actually leveraged those for um, a conventional loan. So we found a bank that would give her a conventional loan. Because she collateralized it with her other assets. Yep. So that's how she came to the table with the big chunk of change. And then um, because she wanted to make sure that, again, it was valued a little on the high side and but she not a full price offer, but very close. And she um, then took the next she's going to take the next two years to pay down that other part quarterly um, based on gross revenue. So a lot of times people want to book want to do earnouts on a net. And the problem with that is it's very subjective. 
you may put in a huge marketing program and now you're not going to hit the numbers or you put in, you know, you, you up, give everyone a raise. And so it's very subjective. So I've had this from past experience. So I knew that we could only do it based on gross revenue, which is what she agreed to. So we actually closed out the deal. Hi, this is, this is kind of an interesting story, even though it had its challenges, they had this, I mean, one component is that they, that often happens. Uh, and real, you know, note taking opportunity here for our audience is that, you know, the, the market is going to tell you buyers out there are not traditionally or normally going to overpay for a business unless there's something other motivation behind what they're willing to pay for a business. So you really have to look at really what the realistic valuation is here. The other thing I found really interesting in this, your story here is that you have a person that has done so well in leveraging your business, bringing on people to do recruiting of staff and training and operations and all of these four key people that she brought on, but yet she didn't uh, do the same with her finances. This just seems kind of a disconnect there, but I guess it happens. We all know that, uh, you know, keeping track of your money is a big issue. So it sounds like you, you made a, a comment there. Once they met each other, they kind of fell in love with each other. I mean, they really liked it. And so would you say that a takeaway from something like this is that if you have a, a buyer and seller that really like each other and kind of trust each other, you'll figure out a way to get the deal done? Absolutely. I do feel that way. Because I've had both ways. I've had where they didn't like the buyer and it fell apart on little things. Whereas this was kind of a big deal trying to figure out how to get it financed. And then when the conventional loan popped up, that worked out great. But we, you know, we're trying to figure out how to structure the deal. And we worked several different ways before making this happen. Well, it sounds like you did your job as an advisor out there to facilitate a process that uh, doesn't always happen this this way. This deal, if the, that type of buyer hadn't shown up, they may not, not have been able to sell their business, it sounds like. Well, let's, that's, that's, let's move on right now to a transaction that, um, you know, kind of had the storybook ending and maybe went very well and maybe really well. So do you have a transaction like that you've been involved in recently? You know what? Last year, I did have a great transaction with a coffee shop, just coffee shop. You know, you get everybody wanting to own their own coffee shop. It's like a dream. It's like the people that want to own bars until they realize how hard that is. They want to own a coffee shop. You know, they can they can keep it open from six to you know five and be gone. Be they don't even have to keep it open in the evening a lot of times. So this was I got a lot of I got a lot of response on this. So to t- talk a little bit about who the owner of this coffee shop business was and a little bit about their background and okay, so that's great. So this was a couple, and the husband had <clears throat> the wife was an attorney, and the husband had over thirty years experience in the coffee industry. So they decided to open this coffee shop and roaster because of his experience in it. I suppose he had a lot of the contacts of where to get the beans and right. how, how to brew them and you know grind them and all that type of stuff. Yes, they had trade seekers and they have some of the best coffee in the Metroplex. And so that was... Um, so they had a great reputation. Well, it sounds like a business like this, when it when when you kind of get and you have all that experience and you can leverage that experience into a retail location, 
uh, you do get a, a great reputation. And I would imagine that sales were very good. The business probably grew very well. I'm, again, I don't know a lot about the story, but it sounds like that's kind of what happened. Yes, they were very successful. They they did grow it very nicely. And they actually found a couple that they wanted to purchase it. And um, that would have been uh, great. But they had purchased a coffee shop a few years earlier, and they were actually they were actually uh, clients of theirs that were purchasing their coffee and using it in their coffee shop. So it all sounded really good. So let, let's just back up here. I need to understand. So the buyer was already in the coffee shop business. Yes, which which banks love. Yeah, banks so, love that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have someone in the business. The bank loves it. Uh, so this is sounds like a great story, and it's going to have a great you know outcome here. So um, talk a little bit more about uh, any, any challenges that came up in, in the transaction? Yes, unfortunately, uh, as, as as well as this turns out, there was the, um, the, the challenge that the, the sellers being in the coffee industry, the husband was also doing consulting and he had an LLC and he had several businesses over the years under that LLC. So separating out just the coffee and roaster from his other uh, income and expenses was challenging. Okay. So now, now we have a, a new wrinkle here. So we have someone that's been in the coffee industry for 30 years you know, had distribution, different types of businesses he's owned over that time. And he has it under kind of an umbrella LLC. He has a consulting business also under the umbrella LLC. He starts a retail coffee shop. It explodes on him, but he just throws that into the his LLC. And uh, share with the audience why that's a, a, a very complicated thing for an SBA lender. I just call it a no-no. <laughs> make it very easy. That's a no-no. Um, because it's very difficult for them to separate that out and to figure out where the income and where the expenses are going and coming and going. So they're just not going to finance that type of transaction. No. So they came back and said, no, it's not It's not financeable. And so I had mentioned to them, we were probably going to need a cash buyer uh, the first time I saw their tax returns. But you know, not everyone always listens to their broker and that's okay because we all learn from from our experiences. And so basically I had several people in the wings. That were cash buyers. Cash buyers waiting in the wings because it was, again, we really wanted, they really wanted that couple to own it, um, but they just didn't have the cash available. So with the, once that opened up, I brought them a couple cash buyers and they got to again, choose who they wanted and they found a great couple uh, and it was, uh, 45 days later, um, they still had to get some money from, from a house that was closing. So, but 45 days later, they were able to close on that. And they had a great experience with the transition of training. Um, again, it's, it wasn't just a coffee shop. There was a roasting involved, which takes a little more. Uh, and they did everything from, you know, selling to, uh, vendors in the area to, uh, cold brew for beer. You know, just they had a lot of different um, areas that needed to be taught. Well, it sounds like an exciting business. It was really exciting. And they were willing to stay on. And they still, I think, to this day, they're, you know, they're like, we'll answer questions for as long as they need us to answer questions for. So it's been a great uh, blend between the two of them. And it's given, it's freed up the sellers to go do their <laughs> new ventures. No no pun intended, a great blend. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> great blend. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. Anyway, so here we have, uh, 
What would be the takeaway? So on the takeaway would be if you have multiple businesses, you need to file separate tax returns. It's the bottom line. Don't put them all together. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, it's a lot easier, a lot less expensive for those multiple serial entrepreneurs just to keep everything under one and, uh, you know, keep separate financial statements, but file one tax return. But if you're thinking of selling that business or any of your businesses at any point in time, I think Linda's uh, suggestion here is really key. Uh, file separate tax returns for every entity. Set up a separate LLC. A little bit more expensive, but will pay off in the long run. Well, this, is, this has been a couple of great transactional stories you've shared with the audience here. If uh, someone wanted to get a hold of you and reach out to you, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. You can reach me. My uh, phone number is 817-755-1026. Or you can reach me in my email is lynda.broom at tworld.com. Like Transworld, but Tworld. Lynda.broom. And Broom is B-R-O-O-M. Correct. Linda Broom. Okay. Well, this has been fabulous. I appreciate you being here today. So this is Marvin L. Storm with the Business Exit Stories. And we'll see you on the next episode. And always remember that selling a business is a strategy and a process, not an overnight event. Great. Thank you. We'll see you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember, maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.